Hello everyone and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast Season Number 4. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today wherever you are right now in this crazy world. I am your host, Robbie Cox. Now before we get into today's very special guest, I just wanted to let all our loyal listeners out there know that we have started our own line of merchandise for the podcast, now on sale right now. The original tees are out there. It's the OTB Crew line. Uh, we have many, many other clothing items coming your way, including hoodies, singlets, even socks. But for right now, we have the OTB Crew original tee available for purchase on our website. So please make sure you click on the link tree in our bio. Follow that link to our website to purchase yours today as well as being an awesome t-shirt which it definitely is it's equally as important because it's another way to support the podcast that you guys are loving each and every week we deliver all over the world so yes even our listeners in the usa or the uk can get their hands on some merch so what are you waiting for Jump on our Insta page right now, follow the link tree to our website and purchase an OTB Crew original tea today to become a part of the crew. But that's it. It's enough selling for one show. It's time to crack on with the show. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 2013 Olympic champion, Mr. Tom Dean. Tom, mate, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, it's always funny when you hear those sort of stats, isn't it? 113 years. I, I don't know where they come up with those sort of stats, but it's pretty crazy to hear something mm-hmm. like that, and especially when now it's associated with your name. Yeah, it, it is a bit weird. I think so. All these stats have come from the 1908 Olympics, is what we got told. So, you know, most successful British swimming Olympics since 1908, you know, 113 years, most medals since 113 years, all this kind of stuff. I think 1908, they just had an absolute cracking year. But then we found out that a third of all the swimmers at that Olympic Games were Brits. So it's a bit easier to kind of dominate in the pool when a third of all the swimmers are British. So, yeah, it kind of puts in perspective a little bit, though. I mean, what, what the team achieved out there was, was pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Now, you've been home for a bit now. Have you had time to to get around the family and the friends and, and celebrate, enjoy yourself? Obviously, that's sort of when probably it all hits you a little bit more and uh, the magnitude of what you're able to achieve sort of settles in a little bit more when you've got your friends and family around you. Yeah, I, I, I plan to have all of August off and I was like, yeah, relax, you know, get my head around it, all that kind of stuff. But August, which was supposed to be my holiday, ended up being pretty much the busiest month I've had this year, you know, between all the media commitments and and everything that came with it. I was like, I was here, there and everywhere trying to squeeze in, seeing like my mates, my family where I could. But now I'm settled down, you know, the kind of the hype's died down a little bit and and we're back to a bit more, you know, a degree of normality. Um, I'm heading back to Bath soon, uh, back into kind of the training regime and, 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 and back into a routine, which is what I think I need. And that'll almost be my rest and recovery then will be when I'm, you know, just going yeah. to train in, not like absolutely smashing out the park or anything like that, just settling back in and, and building back up. But yeah, it's just been a, it's been a hectic month. Now, I don't want to assume, mate, that you've drank way too much, but how many pints have, <laughs> you, have your mates bought you and just dropped in front of your lap? <laughs> I've had, I've had one or two. I've had, I've had, I've had a lot of people buy me drinks. I don't think I paid for a drink this month, which is, uh, which is not the worst problem to have, is it? Yeah, I, I always just think it's like being a Bucks on a Bucks weekend 
you know, where you're just the, the main attraction, everyone's just buying you drinks. And obviously for you, it's, you know, it's, it's a, almost a tour because everywhere you're going to, you're meeting family and friends and, and they're all yeah, excited literally. too. So I, I can only assume <laughs> it just continues on now, mate, I want to get to season three of the ISL is on right now in Naples. I think they're four matches deep coming up to five and six at the moment. Uh, you're a part of the London roar, as we know, have you been watching the action in Italy? And when can we expect to, to see you in the pool over there, ripping and a tearing? Yeah, I've, I've absolutely been keeping up with the team and, you know, they're doing amazing things out there. Duncan's out just doing what he does and smashing out the park and doing every event imaginable pretty much. So, yeah, they're, they're having a cracking a cracking time and, you know, I'm really excited to be part of London again. It's, it's always an honour um, to represent the Raw uh, and hopefully I'll be out there for the playoffs. That's the plan. So get a decent block of work under my belt and, and head out there with a bit of better preparation this year than I had last year. Um, so that's the plan. I'm glad Duncan's doing well. I spoke to him a few weeks ago just before they actually kicked off over there and he was, uh, I don't want to say he was packing it, but he was wondering how he was going to go given a bit of a come down after the Olympics and just yeah. enjoying himself. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, he touched the water a little bit, but not too much. So he was, uh, yeah, he was trepidatious, let's say that, about getting back in there and especially starting off with like a 400 IM and who can blame him? Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, mate, what, what do you think some of the keys to success are in an ISL sort of competition in terms of making those semis and the finals? And hopefully, as you said, you guys are a part of that. And you get to, to be amongst it. But obviously, there's a competition involved there and you've got to make it. What do you think some of the keys are to success through these sort of early periods? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely obviously a competition and, and, and you've got to swim your own race, but you've got to do it for the team as well. Um, the ISL is heading in such a direction that, you know, the final is going to be one of the most, you know, important events in the short course calendar, uh, just the way it's going. It's essentially a short course world championships almost. It, it, it's that it's that high level, um, which is, it's, it's always going to be tough. And, and we saw some incredible swims last year and the year prior, uh, and I'm sure we will see um, some similarly incredible swims this year. So it's, it, I think it's a case of... Um, wrapping your head around doing a lot of races in a short space of time. Um, you know, obviously like, what's it a few hours and, and, and two days in a row. And, mm. and, you know, you've got a lot of stuff back to back to back. So it's dealing with that. Um, Duncan is probably one of the best in the world when it comes to that respect. He can back up incredible swims with incredible swims. Um, I mean, I remember watching him last year. He went um, like a 140, 203 into a 359, 400. I mean, how many people in the world could do that now? Yeah. How many people in the world could do that ever? It, it, it's incredible. Mm. So he's, you know, the master of, of backing up um, swims and doing multiple multiple races back to back. And I think that's really the key um, for a lot of these ISL matches if you are required to, uh, to execute a lot of swims in, in quick succession. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I've spoken to a few athletes that are over there at the moment, uh, you know, being a part of the ISL and obviously they're enjoying it. It's in Italy, the warm weather, uh, the great atmosphere, the COVID rules sort of aren't as uh, as diligent as they were last year with you guys in the bubble mm -hmm. and all that sort yeah. of stuff. How important do you think it is that, you know, if we were going to be competing again straight after the Olympics as it is, that it is this sort of a competition? Because it seems to be that, Obviously, you guys have got to get up. You've got to compete. But it's also a really fun, friendly, team-orientated environment. So it probably lends it. If you were ever going to be competing straight after the Olympics, this is probably the right environment to be a part of. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if you went straight from an environment like the Olympics into uh, an environment like, I know, short course world championships or something like that, it's just too much and too short of a space of time. So it, it almost has to be that relaxed environment in order for people to enjoy it and, and have a good time because they're required to step up and you know put your your minds and the bodies on the line for racing but when it's slightly more relaxed and you're with your friends and you know there's not much pressure you're enjoying yourself you know seeing on people's instagrams are going out into italy having a few beers like you yeah. know that's that's what it's got to be like because being in budapest even budapest last year you know it was so brutal being in that bubble and stuck in a hotel for six consecutive weeks it took so much out of so many people. And in my mind, I was like, I could never, ever go back to an environment like that so soon after the Olympics. Yeah. Um, you know, even a racing environment, I think, would have struggled to, to go back into so soon after the Games. You know, I was speaking to some of the guys from the UK. They're having seven days off after Japan. They actually mm. fly in seven days off, back in the water, fly out to Naples. And it's just, I mean, some people can do that. I mean, a lot of people can do that. Um, but for me personally, I think I needed that, that break, that time off. Um, and if I were to go out to, to Naples so soon after the games, it would have to be, you know, that relaxed environment, like you mentioned. 
Yeah, well, mate, I can't wait to see you in action over there. And I'm a London Raw fan myself, even though I'm Australian. But uh, so many Aussies are, are a part of that team as well. And we know Kyle's just uh, arrived over there as well. So he'll be a part of the team. And Zach yeah, and Sody yeah. and Mina Atherton and uh, Emma McKeon. Anyway, we can keep going on. Yeah. But I know, obviously, many Aussies yeah. are involved in it. So looking forward to, to seeing you. Uh, involved there and mate who's the, no one can blame you for wanting to have a break because if we really look into it you know that preparation for tokyo was a five-year preparation one that we've never seen before that's yeah. a, that's a long time yeah it's a long old time and i think if you told a lot of people in 2016 that it'd be five years before they're stepping up onto the blocks at the olympic games i don't think you'd have as many swimmers continuing as as you did do so it's very demanding it's taken a lot out of a lot of people um and I think the the next one being only three years away is a bit of a blessing, but um, you know, an event like that that demands so much, and I put my body on the line through this last twelve months to a degree that I never have before. Mm. I think you need to switch off and, and step away from the pool after that, not yeah, just mate, for your, your physical well-being, but for your, for your mental health as well. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I'm looking at longevity within the sport, and as exciting as ISL is, you know, people don't remember ISL wins; they remember Olympic wins. So. That's what I, you know, was thinking. That's the mindset I've had, and, and and that's what I'm going to kind of take forward with me going to Paris. Well, mate, it's, as I said, it's a smart way to go about it. We know 2022 is stacked with with competitions coming along the yeah. way as well, so yeah. you're going to have to take a break at some stage. And uh, I think it's a smart option. Now, I haven't had you on the podcast before, mate, so we'll get into a bit of the background of of your swimming uh, a little bit later in the show, but. For now, uh, obviously, you know, we can't go past the phenomenal performances in Tokyo. And obviously before Tokyo, there was a, there was a trials and you guys were, you know, tearing yeah. it up over there. To be honest, it was um, yeah. a lot of the news was, was around you guys and how fast you were going. Um, you know, you swam pretty quick. I think even you and Duncan went about mid 144s in the 200 at trials. Yeah. Did you get a sense from trials that, you know, you were, you were on the right track to doing something special come Tokyo time? Yeah, so that 144.5 was a bit of a shock. Um, you know, I'd never broken 146 prior to that. So skipping straight over the 145 and going to 144 was was pretty incredible. And, and you know, 145 can get you a, a long way in the swimming world, but 144 really kind of gets you those medals and the right colour. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, um, but a nice surprise, uh, especially considering the kind of um, turmoil I'd had within my training programme and the disruption I'd, I'd had to kind of overcome in the six months leading up to the trials. So I knew that a solid block of work between April and July would would set me in good stead to have a pretty special, uh, pretty special Olympics, and and that kind of came to fruition out in Japan. Special is an understatement. You mentioned that you had a, a few <laughs> setbacks, mate. Talk to us. I, you know, I'm an Aussie. I, I'm not aware of it. What what was going on before you had that really good block? What what was sort of playing um, so its part? The- the, the disruptions just came from COVID. Um, you know, I, I suffered through two bouts of COVID myself and along with that, two periods of isolation and then two periods of uh, following a return to training program that kind of takes a big a big chunk out of your, your, working, your working year. So the second bout, I took, uh, you know, a week and a half off for Christmas. Uh, at the end of that break, I caught COVID. I contracted it. I then served a two-week isolation period followed by a 10-day return to training program. So I was looking at, four or five weeks worth of destruction uh, two months before our Olympic trials, two and a half months before wow. our Olympic trials. Mm. So I was thinking, you know, I was lying in bed in January, you know, sick as anything, um, coughing and, and you know, not in a good way, mm. um, thinking, you know, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make Olympic trials. I'm not going to make the Olympic Games. This is it. You know, this is the nail in the coffin because I'd already caught it once in September prior to flying out to Budapest. Oh, yeah. um, hence, hence why we went out slightly later because I was in isolation for that time period. I was in quarantine. Um, and then I contracted it a second time and I thought, you know, this is so unfair. Like, how, how can this be happening? It just it just doesn't seem right. Um, but, you know, lo and behold, I, I caught it a second time. And, and the second time, I suffered a lot more than the first. You know, I, I was really, really ill the second time. And um, it took me a long time to get my health back. And with all the... Um, the fears of long COVID going through the news at that time, it was, it was a real worry. And, and when you're kind of at that real depth, I said to my coach, I was like, how, how do I even come back from this? I was playing such a catch up game. I was playing like catch up for four weeks, mm. one or two weeks of good work. And then we're in tapering as Olympic trials. And I was like, how, I, I don't see how I can come back from this. Um, so it's tough. It was, it was real, a real rocky lead into, um, uh, into, in, into trials and, and my coaches, 
philosophy is, is consistency and that, that's a really important part of his program and, and, and being available and being there for every session, you know, um, 10 sessions a week. So when I was, when I was out the water for, for five weeks, essentially, that was, that was a real blow. And I've got to ask because I don't even know anyone that's had COVID once and you've got to be like the most unlucky guy in the world to get it twice. So I've, I've got to ask because I don't know anyone that's had it. What, what, what is it like in terms of, and I don't want to spend forever on it because obviously you won an Olympic yeah. gold medal and I want to concentrate on that, <laughs> but I've never had anyone, yeah. not any of my mates, not any of my family have had COVID. What's the difference, say, to the flu or is it the flu just the volume turned up? So the first time wasn't too bad. The first time I was ill for only about two days, you know, um, bunged up. I was a bit, you know, coughing a little bit, just felt under the weather. Two days, 48 hours passed and I'm, I'm right as rain, but I still had to serve a 10-day isolation period. Sorry, a 12-day isolation period because I've been ill for two days. So that was quite brutal. Um, but the toughest part about that was I was sitting in my flat, unable to leave, not able to go outside. I couldn't even do workouts, like home workouts, because you're not allowed to to do any training during that recovery period. So that was the toughest part of the first one. The second bout of COVID, I contracted the illness. Uh, I started to feel under the weather like the first time, thought it'd be done and dusted in a day and a half, two days. And it went, you know, day two, day three, day four. And all of a sudden I was up to like day 10, day 11. And I was still waking up each morning, you know, out of breath, walking up my stairs to go to my kitchen. Um, You know, really, really feeling under the weather. Called up my doctor and I'm like, Doc, you know, what, what's, what's the protocol here? How do, I, how do I get back into water and, you know, do these threshold sessions and really, you know, <laughs> get back in some hard work? And he goes, well, Tom, you're the first case of reinfection of COVID in any Olympic sport across the entire United Kingdom. So we don't really know the protocol here, essentially, um, which is not something you want to hear from your doctor, you know, no. when, you're, when you're bed bound with this disease. But, you know, I, I, I managed to get over it, you know, just under two weeks, um, got back into training, did a real slow build up. Uh, my heart rate was through the roof. I was doing easy swims and it was it was sky high. And and that, you know, our, our training program is so heart rate dependent that it's a bit of a, a shock to the system. Um, you know, I was playing a real catch up game with Jimmy as well in the pool. And, and it, it took a long time to just kind of do those slow building blocks and, and get back to, to some proper hard work. Yeah, I mean, when talking about sort of resumes, having the resume of, you know, the the first male, you know, British swimmer to have two gold medals from one Olympics in 113 years, that's a good one to have on the resume. <laughs> Being the first, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, athlete, Team GB athlete to have COVID twice and nobody's gone through that before, that's not one you want on the resume. Yeah. So, uh, mate, I, I definitely feel for you. That's Give awesome. me a, a snapshot into yeah. then you know, at those trials, because I can only imagine, I didn't get to see it, but I can only imagine it was an emotional time for you, given how fast you swam, getting on the team, having a successful meet, because no doubt you would have been mm-hmm. thinking in your mind back to, to when you were sitting in that bed going, what yeah, the literally. hell am I doing? Yeah, well, trials was a weird one. I had the 400, the 100 and the 200 freestyles. Um, it was my first long course 400 in you know, years. I think I've only done about four or five of them long course, but I gave it a crack and misjudged it slightly. Didn't have the race I quite wanted to do just outside the qualifying window. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give the 100 a crack. Mm. 100 went okay, you know, dropped dropped quite a chunk of time, but a bit too scrappy in the final and, and just got pipped out of the top two, unfortunately. So I was going into my 203 thinking, I've not qualified for the Olympics here. You know, as of yet, I've not got a spot on this team. Um you know, I really need to pull something special out of the bag. And, and like you said, it did kind of go back to those those dark days when when I was kind of stuck in quarantine. And I thought, like, I've just got to have the race of my life here. And, and when it came together and I saw the 144 and, and, and I, you know, put my place on the team, it was really special. It was a special moment for myself and, and for my family. And, and, and qualifying for an Olympic Games is, is something you never really forget. Oh, mate, absolutely. And just hearing those stories, uh, and I don't want to get to it too early, but hearing those stories, mate, is the reason why I like doing this podcast. You know, so many so many mm-hmm. people at home watched yeah. you on TV, no doubt, and seen you win and, and got all excited for you. And just winning is is a, and a great achievement in and of itself. But for people listening out there mm-hmm. that now know the backstory and to, to, you know, what it took to, yeah. to get to that place. I know there's many, many years before that, but, mate, those are some definitely dark days for you in terms of your, you know, your mental health and where you're going through. And uh, you're like a race, you know, a greyhound really, aren't you? You know, you just want to race, but dogs yeah. say, no, calm down. And that doesn't really work for athletes. Yeah. They, they want to go, go, go. So, exactly. mate, uh, exactly. you know, as I said, just skipping ahead, mate, thank you very much for, for sharing those stories. Now, obviously, 
we get on the plane, we get to Tokyo. What was that experience like for you in the village? We'll get to swimming bit in a minute, but uh, village life, it's a bit different during COVID times. It is, yeah. Obviously, I didn't really have a benchmark to to judge it against, not going to Rio and Tokyo being my first games, but the village is always an exciting experience. You know, you're mingling with the best athletes in the world in their respective disciplines. And, and it's even incredible sitting in a dining hall, you know, you see the gymnasts who are so like, strong and stocky but you know really short and then you see the, the the nba players who have come to represent their country you know guys that are seven foot something and it is it's just incredible so so mingling with with the elites in in different sports from across the world always exciting as a sports person so that was probably my favorite part of village life um but just you know being in a flat with the, with your mates with the team gb lot is, is so so cool um so I, I had a lot of fun it was it was definitely an experience i won't forget did you get to play a bit of cards? I know Duncan was saying you your boys played a bit of cards. <laughs> we absolutely smashed the cards. Yeah, we're we're hitting out by every day. We just like we play this one game. They, uh, Duncan probably mentioned it. Um, we just play this one game, and you know, all through the holding camp, all through the um, uh, the, uh, the the village time, it was just this one game, and we absolutely love it. Every swimming competition we go to, do, every camp, it's like always just hit this hit this game up. So yeah, we was we were doing that pretty much every night, which was which was a lot of fun. Who came out the winner and, and who were the biggest losers in that game? Because I, I don't want to say anything, but uh, Duncan's on record is saying <laughs> that Luke Greenbank didn't do too well and, uh, you know, he wasn't too happy about it. Do you, can you shed some light on, on who were the winners and losers uh, in the card games? Yeah. So there's – there's so <laughs> the rule is if you lose three games in a row, if you lose three games in a row, you've got to do a forfeit. Um, and uh, unfortunately, James will be, you know, I, I have to name and shame, he did lose three games yep. in a row and he's yet to – He's yet to fulfill this forfeit, and and you know there are a lot of witnesses that night, so uh, many people will be able to be able to back that claim up. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm calling him out, James. Will be you need to do your forfeit. Well, there you go. He's been called out. We'll have to get him on because he has absolutely. Duncan's called yeah. him out as well, so we'll have to. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have to get him on <laughs> and, and get him to fess up to this. Now, your first Olympic Games, yeah, mate, mate. Talk to me about you know, having finals in the morning heats at night uh, i've spoken to many people and my listeners are probably going to get sick of hearing this question because they've heard it before i only ask it again yeah. because of the varied answers some people really liked it some people didn't enjoy it much some people found it a bit you know a bit harder to to grasp what about yourself there were there were pros and cons to morning finals um the the cons being it felt like the meet was so much longer than it actually was it felt like felt like each day was two days you know swimming a completely different set of events in the evening after the highs of the morning is really demanding, um, you know, mentally demanding. So <clears throat> after my 203 win, you know, I just achieved my all-time dream, you know, I've reached the pinnacle of the sport and and it's like, right, we'll go home, you know, rest up, stretch, you've got the relay heats tonight, you get back in the pool. So yeah. there's no time for, for celebration and and it's, it's, it's tough to wrap your head around doing a completely different event on the evening. Um, I mean, obviously it's still a 203 style, but it's a different event at the end of the day. Um, and obviously, Duncan will be able to speak with a lot more, um, you know, authority on this topic, doing completely different events and, and so many of them back to back. So it's tough to wrap your head around. But the pros, I absolutely love doing morning finals because it was like, wake up, go through your processes, you know, stretch, breakfast, pool, warm up, you're in the final, done and dusted. And that's it pretty much. There's no lying around all day thinking about it and, and kind of mulling it over in your head. So so there, there are pros and cons, um, but, you know, I was a big fan of the, uh, the morning finals. What about, there's been a lot of talk about caffeine and who has coffee, <clears throat> caffeine at what time. And, you know, normally people are having caffeine before their races, but if they're having a, a heat at night time, it's probably not a great idea to, to be filling yeah. up on caffeine before then. What, what are you, uh, what's your vibe around that? Yeah, so I obviously use caffeine before my races. I think you have to, you have to prioritise the finals. So if that means you're going to have a bit of a jittery day and your heats might not be the best in the world because you've been a bit up and down with the caffeine in the morning, then that's just a risk you've got to take. Um, and it's almost better because if you have the evening finals, you caffeine before them, you're trying to go straight to bed and you're still wired off the back of these the caffeine um, that you've taken you know a few hours prior, then then that can be a bit tough. So with morning finals, it's been out of your system by the time you get to bed in the evening, which is good. 
Yeah, it's almost like just your normal sort of morning routine, isn't it? You wake up, everyone's having yeah. a coffee in the morning. So <laughs> it's almost, just, you know, I, some of us have two or three, probably should cut down on that. But uh, that's just, that yeah. might just yeah. be me. Uh, mate, how are the nerves <laughs> for the for your 200 metre final? Uh, obviously, a hot field. You know, Duncan was in there, Kieran Smith, Sheffer, obviously the young Romanian, Chlorine Daddy himself, David Popovici was in there and he had an incredible yeah. swim himself. This is your first. Olympic final. Tell us about the feeling in terms of, you know, being in the marshalling area, coming out behind the blocks. What was sort of going through your head? Yeah, um, I mean, I get asked this a lot and I'm fortunate that I don't really get, you know, nervous my races. I don't really get too jittery or anything or, or too worked up in my own head. Um, I was in the cool room. I was just having a bit of a laugh with Duncan, you know, we're good mates to the end of the day and, and just having a bit of a a joke, I mean, how many times I've been in cool rooms with Duncan about to step up for a 200 freestyle, you know, it's, it's, it's countless over the, over the years. So, um, yeah, it's just like being in another race with your mates and, and you know, there's no, you know, I'm not in a cool room with a Phelps or an Aniel or a Thorpe, am I? You know, it's, yeah. it's all, it's a, not, it's, it's, I'm not, you know, you know, slating any of these other guys. They're all incredible athletes in their own right, but there's no one who's, um, you know, particularly intimidating or he's done you know absolutely insane things in the sport and leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the field it was a relatively even field um I knew some of the young guys were gonna have cracking swims like Popovici like you mentioned you know 16 years old and and, and doing the swim that he did um the Korean the Korean lad had a had a cracking swim and he's he's a young lad as well and he, he went out like an absolute shot yeah, I was gonna but, say doesn't he know, love going I'm, out fast <laughs> he, he does he does and I was quite fortunate he was to my right and he, he kind of got me through a, a decent hundred split and it was quite comfortable but uh yeah you know watching his heat swim in his semi-final swim I always kind of knew it was only going to go one way with with his back end um but uh, you know it's 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 good it, I wasn't too I wasn't too nervous I was pretty relaxed I was just just looking forward to, to racing really yeah, well, I want to get to race plans now because they are crucial at any level, you know, especially at Olympic Games. And we mentioned there with the boys that went out really fast. Obviously, uh, there are more back-end dominated swimmers like your mate Duncan, obviously, who leaves it to the last minute to make his charge as well. Yeah. Uh, it was probably, although missing maybe those superstar names, as you said, like a Michael Phelps, but in terms of a race itself was really exciting because it was varied, wasn't it? You had the boys that you knew were going to go really hard. You knew... You had the boys that were going to hold back and just sort of let it play out and make yeah. their charge at the end. Uh, you know, sort of tactically for yourself, what, you know, give the, the listeners a bit of an insight. What are your tactics going into a, a 200 meter freestyle, say? Yeah. So, like you said, it's very individual. Um, for myself personally, it's a case of going through in a pretty quick hundred split, but it's got to be comfortable. Um, you know, I've, I've been out 50 point low in the past and it's, it's, it's hurt me on the back end. I've been out 51 mid and it's, you know, I've had too much on, on the engine in the back end. So it's finding that sweet spot. And, and I was able to hit that in the final, I, you know, I was able to see the Korean lads go up pretty quickly and, and, and keep him within my range, but just to kind of use him a little, a little bit. Got me through the 100 split. I think I was through 50.4. I turned, I looked, to my, I'm, I'm breathing to my right. So I can only see Duncan on the first and third leg. Um, you know, third 50, I had to take a little little look to the right. I think Duncan was out 51 low or something like that. So he was, you know, just over half a second behind me. And I thought, I thought if I popped up at the 100 mark and Duncan was with me, then I'd be in for a bit of trouble because I know how quickly he can come back. But yeah. if I popped up and I was ahead of him, then hopefully I'll be able to hold him off. And then that last 50, it was like head down, give it everything you've got um, and, you know, just, just see how it goes, really. Duncan's going to be coming back like an absolute freight train. So just try and get your hand on the wall first. And, and I was fortunate those, um, those four 100s went my way, luckily. Oh, mate, did they ever. And obviously, you know, we all know the result now. <laughs> uh, mate, give me a, exactly. a little insight into your mind. First thoughts. Everyone dreams of this moment. And this is going to sound really so corny, me saying this, because, you know, this is your life. Everyone dreams of this moment, touching the wall, looking up and their name is in lights, number one, Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. What was your thought, first thought when you, when you seen that? That's the thing. Everyone does dream of this and, and I'm, you know, not excluded <laughs> from that category. This is something you think about when you're nine years old and you just jumped in a pool for your first time. You know, it's something yeah. you think about when you're 20 years old and, you, you know, you've just done a hard session and, and the games are on the horizon and you always think, what if, what if? And, and you've got you to gotta push it to the back of your mind. You can't, you know, as I always told myself, I can't afford to think like that. Don't think about the outcome. Think about the process and, and, and what I need to do to make that uh, a possibility. But, you know, I touched the wall and, and it was just like, 
it was just surreal. It was like I, I, I got out of the water and I looked around and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wake up in my bed back in the village any second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wake up. This, this can't be. Or back in, back in Bath, you know, where it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's the games haven't. Been, it's, it's weeks before the games and I haven't even, I haven't even done it yet. But it's, it's, it's so, so surreal and, and it's like it is the pinnacle of the sport and it's everything you work for and, and, and in that split second every bit of graft and hard work you know comes together and, and becomes worth it and um it's 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 an amazing feeling having something like a the title of olympic champion that will never be able to be taken away from you you know i'll be carrying this title 50 years from now and and, and i'm very fortunate that that um i'm able to say that and it, it, it's an honor but it's an honor that has come from years of years of hard work hundred percent, mate. It's an honour that you've earned, and I had to keep going through these special moments with you because I don't want to make you feel, you know, sort of uh, funny about yourself. But another, you know, special <laughs> moment is standing up there on the dais, hearing your national anthem being played. And for me, uh, as a fan, obviously I'm a swimming coach, but first and foremost, I'm a swimming fan. This is the moment that I, I, I notice that swimmers it really sinks into them. You know, they touch the wall and whatever their first mm-hmm. reaction is either fight or flight. Really, they're either up on the on lane rope, you know, giving it these ones, or they're just yeah. shocked. Or uh, you know, some of the ones who wear glasses can't even see their time. So I feel really sorry for them because no. they need someone to tell them. <laughs> so that's always like a you know a, you know it's almost like an instinctual <laughs> thing. It's not until you're on yeah. the dais, medal gets around your neck, you hear the national anthem, it all really sinks in. What was that moment yeah, like yeah. for you? Yeah, that was that was a very, very special moment. Um, you know, I've always had my dad tell me, look, you know, in these moments, just take it in, take it all in, soak it all in and stand up there and and and, and hold your chin up and, and be proud and take it all in. But, you know, that's the only moment I, th- I think someone was someone was cutting the onions at that point when the flag was going up. Yeah. And, and, and that's the only time that I've had that um, uh, since since winning Olympic gold. Um, but it was it was, you know, it's emotional. And I think the toughest part was not having my family there. Um, my family there to watch in the crowd and the people most important to me in my life and have been there for for every year and unfortunately you know I always look up into the crowd and see my mum and and she wasn't she wasn't able to be there unfortunately so that was the tough part but it was such an incredible honour to bring home um, uh, and it's going to sound extremely patriotic but you know for for Great Britain to bring home some some silverware and and, and the right colour so it was it was a real kind of barrage of mixed emotions um, but you know pride first and foremost. No, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It is a patriotic moment. I think even for me yeah. as an Australian fan, you know, every time, uh, you know, one of the Aussies got up on the on the dais and, and got that gold medal, which fortunately for us, we had a very successful meet as well in the pool. Mm-hmm. So as a fan, we got to hear it quite a lot. But, yeah, those were the moments we, we got those goosebumps and hearing the national anthem, uh, you know, it's always one of those pinch yourselves moments and, and you got to, to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned something there in terms of the stands, what, what was that atmosphere like in terms of, you know, was it quiet? Well, obviously, we know there were some um, athletes that were able to, to be in, you know, swimmers that were up in the stands watching, coaches. It wasn't a completely empty. It wasn't probably what we would have thought about, but it, it certainly wasn't yeah. what it has been. What was it like for you? Yeah, it wasn't um, heaving, you know, it wasn't the, the what was it, 15,000 or however many people are supposed to be in the crowd, you know. It wasn't like that, but there was still a decent amount of people, all the coaches, all the support staff, all the athletes, um, you know, up there from every country. So there was a decent bit of noise. And, and whenever Team GB did anything special, you'd see the whole crowd erupt, um, as in or the whole Team GB lot erupt, um, which was always quite special. And, you know, you, you're doing it for your team and, and, and they're all there in the, in, the, in the stand. So that was that was quite special. Now, just another quick question for my own sort of curiosity as a coach, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just give me a quick snapshot. We spoke about just before a five-year sort of preparation for this Olympic Games, which is something we haven't seen before. For the listeners out there, and we talked about those goal-setting moments, you know, everyone sits there and dreams about that Olympic gold medal. You've achieved that five years of hard work and effort and blood and sweat and tears, injuries, setbacks, uh, everything you want to name, it, it's gone into that. Um, give us, a, like, what does it take to win an Olympic gold medal? I know that's a really open-ended question, but if you get where I'm saying, like, what, how much sort of dedication to give the listeners a bit of an insight is it that goes into, uh, you know, such an incredible performance like this? Yeah, I mean, you you, you said it there yourself. It is years and years of graft. Um, <clears throat> 
and everyone, everyone, you know, you have so many motivational speakers say, yeah, you got to work hard for years and stuff like that. You got to, you know, and, and, and you see all these sports stars winning Olympic gold, you're like, oh, they've grafted for so long. But the, the fact of the matter is, the thing with high level elite sport is it's just 99% of it is just monotonous. And it's like, wake up, get to the pool, graft out 6K, get in the gym, repeat the reps you've been doing for the last however many months and years, do the same, go back back to the pool two hours in the water and repeat that day in day out and it is it is a real graft and it's monotonous and it's brutal and you know you put your body through its paces especially a sport like swimming you know you're putting your body on the line i get to friday night my friends will be going out and i just you know i've got the i've got the energy and i can't and i can't do it anyway because of training so it's really really brutal um my family my mum will be able to say that just as well as anyone else, you know, it's early mornings for 10 years while you're an age group swimmer. And then it's everything that comes with being a full-time um, senior swimmer. So it is a slog and it's years of commitment. And I don't think until you're in it and you're up close and see it, you know, firsthand, you really have a, an appreciation for what it takes. Um, and I think that's why, um, I think that's why people, you know, understand uh, and, and, and like hearing, um, high level elite sports people talk is because they've committed countless hours of their life to what is essentially a very um, mundane task um, becoming a, elite a real a real niche uh, event with the potential for it to not even you know come to fruition once if I had broken my leg you know a few days before I raced that's that's 13 years of hard work uh, or if I'd caught COVID you know if I'd been pinged on the app one day from supposed to step up for the final yeah you've got to isolate for 10 days you know it's 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 a real tightrope and, and and that's what is the brutal part of elite sport, but that's also what is the the kind of beautiful part of it as well. Well, mate, you can hold your head up high because you are now a part of a very, very few and elite uh, group of people to be able to call themselves Olympic champions. So uh, as I said, for all the listeners out there, um, make sure you're you know, taking notes and, and take those words to heart. It's, it's way harder than it looks. You guys make it look easy, no doubt, uh, with the performances that you put on and, and the show that you put on uh, over there in Tokyo. But as you've just sort of uh, explained to us and, and what we talked about before with everything you went through, it's certainly far from, from easy. Now I want to get to, you know, the relay in a second, which, which was such a brilliant race. And, and even though I'm an Aussie, I, I definitely loved uh, watching it and watching you guys uh, do so well, but I want to give the listeners a bit of an insight as well. Obviously, take away the time that, that you were sick and you had to be pulled back and you couldn't really get too into it. But you talked about there sort of how intense at times your training sessions are. Do, do you have a favorite sort of session or two sessions that when you rip into them, although you might get out and you're legless and you're, and you're absolutely rooted and you're looking yeah. for the bed, but you, you take a lot of confidence away from them going, well, mate, that that it didn't. It might have knocked me about. It didn't kill me, and I actually feel like if I can do that, I, I can achieve something. Yeah, I think um, like our coach Dave isn't afraid of the hard work. Um, you know, anyone who's been in Dave McNulty's program will agree. He loves thresholds. That's a big, a big part for 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 him. A big part of the program. Um, he's a big fan of pushing to kind of that thirty below area and. And a lot of his work is heart rate based, but you know, your, your standard lactate tolerance sets like five, one hundreds all out of 10 minutes from a dive suited. That's, that's always a brutal one. Uh, but then the real tough ones are like the threshold effect ones where it's like um, something like four fifties um, broke as a broken 200 off a minute, 300, 200, 100 um, descent to, you know, 10 beats below max heart rate or something like that. And then that four or five times, you know, things like that where you're really putting your body through it for a good two hours, two and a half hours and you get to the end and it's just, you're spent, you're absolutely spent, but that's, that's what you've got to do to build the engine, to allow yourself to do sessions like those five 100s, which then allows you to have the back end on a 200 freestyle. So um, they're all pieces to the jigsaw, but those sets, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd wake up on a morning knowing I had that coming and I'll be, I'll be nervous lying in bed. So um, yeah, they're, they're the real brutal ones. And, and they're not afraid of them at all, unfortunately. 
<laughs> oh, man, I don't blame you. I'll be nervous. I'm nervous just hearing about them. Um, yeah. talk, talk to me in terms of those sessions. Where do you go in your mindset? I, I always ask this question because I'm trying to give the, those young swimmers, and as I said, I'm a coach myself, so I've got swimmers that are in there doing these 200 sets, 400 sets, and trying to inspire them, trying to get them motivated. Everyone's motivated in different ways. You've got mm-hmm. those really competitive swimmers that just love getting next to someone next to them and having a red-hot crack through it. Do you know what I mean? They're pushed by people around them and that great team environment yeah. and being competitive. Others are a little bit more sort of focused on themselves and, and they need to just focus on their processes and goal orientated. So they know they've got to hit these targets and they keep focusing on that. What sort of a trainer are you when you're in this sort of environment where, you know, the intensity is ramped right up? So unfortunately, I've got um, a very, very good training partner in James Guy, um, you know, an incredible athlete in his own right and, and the things he's achieved in the sport, um, you know, made him a bit of an idol of mine heading into the National Centre um, as, as a 17-year-old and, and seeing what he's done and then being fortunate enough to train alongside him and then pushing each other um, day in, day out. But, you know, we're just, we're just working each other so, so hard. We're racing each other all the time. And, and when it got really tough and we were a few weeks out from Japan and stuff, I remember speaking to Jimmy um, you think we were doing 10.50s all out of five um, a week before we did the five 100s off 10, actually. You know, he gets to the final rep and he's on all fours, just being sick at the end of the pool. He's just bent over double. It's really, really brutal. And I said to him after, I was like, oh, what, can you help? How did you push yourself in that last rep? And he was saying he was head down and he was just saying Olympic Games, Olympic Games, Olympic Games. And, mm. and it's interesting because we're both, we're both similar in that respect. You know, when I'm absolutely feel like I haven't got another ounce of strength to give it's you know I'll be head down and everything's telling you to stop but you're just thinking this is what it's going to feel like on the last 25 meters of the 200 freestyle meter final and if I can hurt myself now it will allow me to push there and I will thank myself so much for the work I put in now and I can sit here a month and a half later and and I can thank myself for that work uh, and I'll be able to sit here a year and a half later or a decade and a half later and I'll be able to thank myself for the work I put in there because um, it allowed my, my, my dreams to come true um, but to get that medal around my neck and it set me up for, for a pretty um, special career going here on outwards. So it's just, it's just connecting those two things in your mind and connecting the work you're doing um, a few weeks or a few months before the big event to that big event um, is easier it is to, to keep them very separate and think, oh, I don't want to try hard on this training session you know, the games is ages away. I'll, I'll come round to it there, but it's, it's being able to put the work in there so that when you step on the blocks at the main event, um, you have that confidence that you're going to have the back end and you're going to have the ability to, to do the job that you need to do. Mm. And, and the other thing, mate, you hit the nail on the head there, but the other thing with that mentality is uh, you can't really put things off too quickly these days because everything comes around a lot quicker than you think it's going to, doesn't it? Like for an hour, for example, we've just finished in Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure there are people who, are, who can be complacent and say, oh, it's okay, the games are done. But realistically, we're not that far away from it being 2022. And then the games are only about two Hello. years and a half away. So you can't Hello. rest. Uh, you've just got to keep grafting, as you said. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Three years are going to come around quick. I mean, two years from now, we'll be starting the Olympic season. 21, mm. 22, 23. Yeah, we start on the 23, 24 season. Yeah. Two years. I mean, I remember two years ago, that, that was not even that long ago. It's flown by. So it's, it's going to come around. It's going to come around quick and there's time for celebration and there's time for hard work. And, you know, just I'll be sure that when that time does come around, I'll be getting my head down, just like I got my head down in the, in the 2020, 2021 season. Absolutely. Uh, time flies by. Just wait till you have kids and, and you watch how quickly they grow, <laughs> I can assure you. <laughs> it was only the other day my daughter wasn't even saying a word. Now she's telling me what to do. So uh, time flies by pretty quick. Now, we've mentioned your coach, yeah. David McNulty, a few times now. And obviously, Coach Swimmer Bond plays a massive role uh, in achievements and, and certainly uh, in, in your achievement in Tokyo. Talk to us about what he means to you and your swimming career and how, you know, how do you think he's helped you the most in terms of achieving your goals? Um, I think Dave's given me belief in myself. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's said for years, you know, he used to say to me, oh, you know, you, could, you guys could win. You could, you could win that relay. You could, you could be part of that team. You know, when I first joined the National Centre and then he said, you know, you could go for an individual spot of the games, that 200 freestyle. You know, and then we moved on a bit and he's like, you know, you could actually go a, 
you got what you got 144 on you you've got 144 and i'm thinking bloody hell 144 that'd be special and then i go 144 and he said you've got to think about winning gold at the olympics now and it's just like you know it's small steps but having that complete faith um and and working so well together and, and we've got that we've got that partnership like i had with my coach for 10 years, Paul Lloyd at Maidenhead, where it was a real special relationship where, you know, the coach asks you to do something and, and you don't even think twice about it. You do it mm. because, you know, they've got your best interests at heart and you've got complete faith in, in him and, and, and in his programme. So um, it's, it's, a, it's an ideal relationship and I don't think I'd, I'd be where I am today without um, that connection that we've got. What I love about what you just said, mate, is that, you know, obviously there were goals set. There's no doubt about that. But as you progress, those goals continue to shift and continue to change and continue to progress. Mm -hmm. How important do you think is that in terms of, you know, those swimmers out there, whether they're young, whether they're old? I I do know some of the Olympic swimmers do listen to this podcast as well. So it goes across the board. How important is it, do you think, to continue to, you know, keep stretching out and keep sort of, you know, pushing the limits of what you think is achievable? Yeah, it's, it's super important and as as unbelievable as some of those things sounded when Dave said them to me, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought maybe, you know, what if that that, that could be true and, and every single one of those has come to fruition. So um, it's, it's so important. Goal setting is absolutely vital and, and having a, a target and when you achieve it, you know, patting yourself on the back like I am now and saying, you know, that was great. I'm really proud of what I did. But now it's like back to the drawing board. I'm going to sit down with Dave, you know, in a few days time, have a meeting, say, right, where do we go from here then? What's the plan? What's, what's the motivation and it's going to be a bit of a tricky conversation because mm. what is the motivation after you've won won the olympics um but there's a lot of people who have been in that position and and i'm fortunate enough in that i've got a teammate who's been in that position and and was able to to repeat it five years later in in adam Peaty. so um yeah it's, it's just so so important to, to reevaluate and readjust every time you you uh you kind of tick one of these goals off it's an interesting conversation, absolutely, and it's one I, I find myself having a lot lately on the podcast with people who are hugely successful, and it's that, you know, where do you find that motivation? You've climbed, say, Mount Everest. You've gotten to the top. You've put your flag in. You've, you've achieved it. You go back down, and then you look back up, and you've got to find that motivation to say, oh, I want to go back up. I, I, want to, I want to get back up there. Yeah. I, I know you're probably not at that point of having that conversation, but what, what do you think some of the keys are around that sort of thing? And obviously, you know, yours is the pinnacle of, of all, you know, you went to the, the greatest show on earth and, and you are now, you know, the champion of the Olympic Games. What do you think some of the keys are to getting back down that mountain, looking back up and going, all right, let's go? Yeah, I think it's a case of reevaluating what you want and what's important to you and, and, and what you value in the sport. You know, it's the first time in my life where I, so I thought, you know, I could, I could step away from the sport and 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 say I'm happy with what I've achieved, but then there's always a question of, you know, what if, what if? And and I, you know, my first international gold medal happened to be at the Olympics, which is great. I'm very happy with that. But you know, I've never won a, a European individual gold, I've never won a Commonwealth individual gold, mm. I've never won a world championship individual gold. There's a lot that I've got left to do in the sport and, and I want to give them all a really good crack. You know, I'm not I've got very much unfinished business and you know, I won by four hundredths of a second. Um, it was close, but you know, I'd, I'd love to win again by by a decent margin. So, everyone says defending a title is so much harder than than winning it for the first time, and I think I think that's very true um, from what I've heard from people who have been in a position to do it themselves. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just a case of reevaluating and, and and figuring out what uh, Dave and I want to achieve in the sport now. Good answer, Matt. I put you on the spot there. But that was just a question that that came to me because, yeah, you sort of brought it up in terms of reaching the pinnacle. And that is something that uh, has been interesting to talk to people about at the moment, especially whether it's a swimmer, whether it's a coach, whether it's, you know, at any sport or any level, you know, you look at soccer teams, you look at things like that. And where's that motivation? Once you win the cup, you got to go, you know, do you want to win the cup again? So it's very interesting. And I think yeah. a lot of people can learn something from it. As I said, I've put you on the spot. You're probably not even at that point of having that conversation with your coach yet. So not I quite. appreciate not you quite. giving me a bit of an answer there, mate. Now let's get to the four by two. It's one thing to, to go into the race as a red hot favorite as you guys were. And, and no doubt you, you were probably aware of that going in, but it's another thing to go out, execute it and get the job done. Talk to me about the vibe before that final and what you and the boys were sort of talking about leading into to that big race. Uh, I think the vibe was just complete 
you know, unparalleled confidence in our team and those four guys. Um, you know, you had the first and second fastest men in the world um, on the 200 freestyle, followed by James Guy, world champion, and, and Matt Richards, who's been coming up as a really strong youngster. Just, I never had a shadow of doubt in my mind that that entire race, um, you know, it's a tough race for my, myself personally. I really struggled on that swim. Um, I was hurting a lot. And I think the um, the events of the day previous took took their toll on me a little bit more than I was expecting. Um, you know, I really, really found that a tough swim, tougher than I was expecting. Um, and I was hurting on that back end and the time, you know, wasn't as quick as I would have hoped for. But, you know, that's understandable when, you know, you haven't slept the night before because you just won an individual Olympic gold um, for your first ever time on your first ever Olympic final. So um, it's taken me a while just to wrap my head around that and appreciate, OK, that's 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 why that kind of happened. But, you know, Matt Richards, unreal swim, 18 years old, kept, you know, cool, calm and composed uh, on the biggest race of his life. Jimmy, I mean, I never had a shadow of doubt about Jimmy because I've seen what he's been doing in the pool in training. You know, he's been smacking me up on some of those freestyle sets. So I always knew he was going to drop a quick time. And then and then as soon as Duncan hit the water, I was pretty much celebrating the win at that point because, you know, who who more could you want on a relay on your back end than, than, than Duncan Scott on a two and a freestyle and, and his his kind of his time spoke for itself really. So um yeah, the the best three guys I could have shared a relay with and it was it was a real, real honor to step on the blocks knowing I had those three swimmers uh, to follow me. Well, you know, as I said, it was an incredible race um, and, a, and a brilliant one from you guys. And, you know, you know, obviously Duncan brought it home, touches European record, I think just outside the world record. And we saw the emotion on, on Jimmy's yeah. face, as you said, <laughs> you know, he was he was right in that moment and, and riding uh, all of the, the waves of emotions. And it was a great moment for you guys. And how, you know, how great was it to be a part of that? And obviously, the reason that question comes out is you've run the gamut, I guess, of emotions because individually you've reached the pinnacle and you've got that gold mm -hmm. medal, but it is another sort of uh, beast, isn't it? Doing it with your teammates as well. Yeah, it is. Um, but I, you know, there's, there's not, there's not as much pressure. I don't think um, it's a lot more fun. There's a lot that there's that team camaraderie. I didn't have to switch off um, and have one of my teammates be one of my competitors. Uh, like I did on the individual, so it's, it's it's a different vibe, but it's it's always a lot of fun racing with those boys, and um, you know, on the bigger stage and getting the best result possible. We've been talking about this for years, um, so it was it was yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah, well, it, as you said, you've been talking about it for years, and I think uh, from a spectator, from an outsider looking in, I think you guys just continue to to grow and build as a team, Team GB. Each year, those you know the rewards keep coming those achievements keep coming the bar keeps getting set higher and higher how excited are you for the future and i don't want to look too far ahead obviously celebrate and embrace and enjoy the success you've had but as a team you know you guys continue to to sort of succeed and i guess i don't want to say supersede expectations because it's not your own expert i'm sure you guys all are very confident but from an outsider looking in Obviously, you know, it's not always the case that we look at you guys and go, oh, man, they're going to dominate. Obviously, the four by two, we, we had an inkling, but mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Obviously, you, you look at the even I just want to mention the, the women's four by one freestyle relay. I think you guys came fifth. The girls came fifth in that. And that wasn't probably something that people foresaw. We're seeing those girls with Anna Hopkin really push the limits in what they're achieving at the moment. How excited yeah. are you? looking ahead with three years away from another Olympics, commie games, a home commie games for you guys next year. It's exciting times for, for Team GB, isn't it? It is exciting times for Team GB. You know, we dominated on the relays across the board um, as a nation. Uh, we were a whisker off the world record on the 4 by 2 and there's not a shadow down my mind that I can, you know, swim a quicker swim uh, myself and we'll be able to get that record, which would be incredible. Um and unfortunately, the, the Common Games, we're not going to have two out of our four members. Um, Matt's Welsh and, and, and Duncan's Scottish, so it'll be myself and Jimmy. Out of the four, he'll be, he'll be holding that team up. But um, yeah, I think the next few years are going to be really exciting for, for the 4 by 2 and, and, and all the other uh, GB relays as well. I've asked this question to people before, and I want to ask it again because it interests me. Uh, you swam the 200 individually. You swam the 200 in a relay um, format. Is there a change in your mentality in terms of race plan? I'm, obviously, the answer is no, 
But that's easier said than done when you've got the boys slapping you on the back behind you going, come on, mate, let's go. We need this one or we need that one. Not putting undue pressure on you, but just trying to, you know, get the boys around you, get that camaraderie. It's easier said than done to not let that sort of affect you. Is it a matter of just, you know, do the job, get your head down and and go through your race plan or do those sort of, you know, um, enthusiastic sort of nerves? I don't want to say it's bad nerves, but good nerves, getting pumped up by the teammates. Does that play a part? Yeah, I mean, getting pumped up by the teammates is probably the best part of the relays. Um, I think that's why we all did such cracking swims. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I think that's why people swim such unreal times on relays um, because they're they're doing it for the team and doing it for the boys, like a normal two and a freestyle. And I didn't have a rolling start or anything like that, so that was something else I had to. Um, I had to kind of figure out, but it was, it was, you know, I tried to keep it similar to the day before. Um, I knew it was going to be a tougher race. I knew I wasn't going to be feeling as good as I did on the day before. So just case of having a back end, that was important for me. Um, not kind of blowing up too early and going out too quick and, and just trying to keep it under control and make sure I had a safe, solid start to the relay swim. Mm. Did you guys get to have a bit of fun over there before you got kicked out? I know depending on who it was, I know some of the boys got strapped on a plane straight out of Tokyo. Did you get to enjoy a night with the team, whether it was just in the hotel or whatever, or were you straight on a plane and whisked out of there? Yeah, we got one night uh, in the village, but, you know, a lot of the boys on the medley really had to go and do media and stuff, and we we, we were off pretty early. So, you know, it wasn't um, – like some of the parties I've heard about from other games, um, it was a bit more. It was a bit more tame, I think. And sometimes, depending on you know who it is, some of those people probably appreciated that it was more tame, especially your uh, your media uh, handlers and all that sort of stuff. Probably I'm appreciated sure. the sure opportunity, did, yeah. yeah, for you guys to not get up to too much mischief. Um, mate, I talk to me about so. some I of your so. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Talk to me about some of your biggest influences. You mentioned Jimmy there. When you were a young fella coming up, who who were some of the people that really inspired you to get into the sport? Yeah, I mean, my first individual, sorry, my first senior team, I was on the 4x2 at Europeans in 2018, and uh, I was on with Duncan and Jimmy. You know, I didn't know these guys. I'd never met them before, but they, you know, they they kind of took me under their wing on that relay team and we, we were lucky enough to win a gold there. So that was a real special kind of turning point in my career. So um, having those boys on my team with me was always exciting. Um, you know, as, as a young kid, you watched the likes of Michael Phelps uh, at the Olympics. And obviously I was eight years old when he swam in 08. So I got to, I've got a faint, faint memory of, of, of his races, but growing up, you, you, you become a student of the sport and, and watching the likes of, you know, Thorpe swims of just really, the more I watch of his races, the greater appreciation I have for what he did, um, you know, how he swam it, his his, his stroke and, and the kind of times he was dropping, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of his, ahead of his, um, the era he was in at the time. So, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of the main influences that I've, that I've appreciated over the years. What about other sports, mate? Being from from over in England, no doubt, you know, football is is a massive influence. Rugby is a massive influence. Cricket's a massive influence. Did you play any other sports growing up? Uh, I played a bit here and there. You know, swimming's always been the main one. Um, jumped on like the school rugby team a little bit when I was when I was a schoolboy. Um, but it's always been swimming as my main my main focus. Uh, it's you know such a demanding sport. It requires so many hours that it was pretty. Yeah, it didn't take long before that that became the the main thing for me. Nice. Um, what about balancing swimming and life? Obviously, that changes as you get older and you get an adult and you've got other responsibilities. But even as a, a young fella going through school, have you always found it easy to balance swimming and life? And what do you think some of the keys are to, to finding that balance? No, it's, it's not been easy. It's been tough. Um, doing A-levels while I was training for the European juniors was tough. Um, training for the world championships in 2019 while I was studying a mechanical engineering degree was tough you know these are all things that require a lot of your time and often more time that you have to give um, than you're able to give so it, it, it's very much um, uh, a task in time management and, 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 and organization I think the swimming has given me that, that degree of discipline that I've been able to carry through into the academic world and into other areas of my life but it's like okay sit down let's plan the week and let's figure out how we're going to basically make everything slot in and get the most out of what we're doing. 
Yeah, I think it's a great takeaway there for all the listeners to, to be well prepared. You mentioned you're studying there and what, what are you looking forward to doing once swimming's finished? Where's that sort of degree taking you? I don't want to make you think too far ahead. Obviously, you've got a, a long career ahead of you, mate, in the yeah. pool, but obviously, you know, your interests uh, in, in other things as well. Where's that going to take you? Yeah, so I, I started in that mechanical engineering degree um, at the University of Bath. I put it on hold for training for the games, and I think I'm going to continue putting it in hold after the success I had out in Tokyo. Um, but yeah, I've just got to wait and see. You know, we're, we're not footballers or, or golf players. We're not making stupid amounts of money from the sport. Um, that's the nature of, of our profession. Um, so I'm sure I'll return back to higher education and pursue that engineering degree. And um, But, you know, I, I couldn't tell you what job I want to go into now. It's hopefully a long way off, you know, real life stuff like that. I'm just going to keep paddling around for a little bit longer. Oh, engineering degree. It sounds way above my bloody pay grade. That's for sure. I didn't do too well at school and it just like, gives me anxiety just listening to that subject. So mate, I tip my hat to you just for, for having a crack and getting in there. Now I like to finish my, uh, my chats mate with a little bit less serious questions. Cause I think it gives us a bit of an insight into, to what Tom Dean's like away from the pool. So I'll chuck it out there and you just give me your first answer that, that comes to your head. Um, what, what's your favorite music? What do you like to listen to? Um, not many people know this, but I really, I'm a massive grind fan. Yeah, I absolutely love it. So, uh, I love this, especially some of the old, old school stuff, like old school, you know, big, big fan. Very nice. What about some of your favorite movies? What do you, what do you like to watch? Um, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, not the biggest like cartoon fan, like Marvel and all that stuff. It doesn't really do much for me. Goodwill Hunting is probably my favorite film with Matt Damon. Yeah, absolutely good. love it. So yeah, one's, one's kind of like that. That's a good movie, mate. It's a throwback. I don't know. I've never heard that answer too often, but oh, I, I, I appreciate it. it. I rate it, mate. What about obviously swimmers? You know, um, we're eaters. Unfortunately, I stopped swimming and I keep eating. What what are, what are some of your favorite yeah. meals to to get around when you're really starving? You're hungry. What are your go to meals? Uh, I absolutely love sausage and mash. That's an absolute. That's a classic. Um, yeah, I can't go wrong there. But I do make a good chili con carne as well. So. That's my go-to for, for a big batch cook. Oh, very nice. You've just taken me back to my childhood, mate, with bangers and mash. That was a staple <laughs> in our house at least twice a week. Um, what about, yeah, you, you know, you've been wrong. fortunate enough to travel with the team as a young fella. You've been fortunate enough to, to see some countries. What are some of your favourite countries uh, you've visited? Uh, standing up one for me is the Bahamas. I did the Commonwealth Youth Games there in 2017, and it's still to this day the favorite, my favorite pool I've raced at. Absolutely loved it. But um, obviously, Tokyo's got a special place in my heart as well. Oh, for sure. Well, the, what's the Bahamas like? I've never been there, but obviously, you know, from an outsider looking in, it looks like it's it's a fun place to be. You're only a young fella. What was it like over there? Yeah, beautiful. I mean, I love swimming in the sea and getting outdoors. So it was, it was like a dream come true. You know, it's, it's the food's amazing. The, the, you know, the uh, environment's amazing. Yeah. I loved it. Can't wait to go back. Yeah. I'm excited. I want to get over there too. Once COVID pisses off, it's a, it's a destination on my list. Yeah, um, exactly. Mate, favorite exactly. TV shows to binge watch. Have you been getting around any since the games? Are you a TV show Netflix sort of guy? What, what have you, what do you watch? Yeah, I've just started watching um, Peaky Blinders again, actually. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like Birmingham gangsters in like the 1920s. Yeah, yep. it's pretty big over here, but um, huge, huge fan. And I've, I've, I've watched it before, but I've, I've started again just because I love it that much. Uh, the, you're not alone, by the way. I, I know quite a few people that have been getting into it lately, Peaky Blinders, and I rate it as a great show. Yeah. And just if I can give a tip to anybody out there, uh, clickbait. Clickbait's on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Netflix around the world, but it's on Netflix over here, and it's absolutely a fantastic show and catches you. So uh, that's just a, a little tidbit for me. Uh, are you a gamer, mate? Do you, do you play games? Do you like to you know, muck around with the boys and get on the headsets and give each other a bit of stick? Uh, I can't say I have. Never owned a console and, you know, doesn't really do much for me, so. Not the biggest fan of sitting in front of a screen, to be honest. So, no, not not one, not a gamer, no sir. No, mate, I love it. I, I appreciate that because I'm exactly like you. I only ask that question because I know a lot of the guys yeah. are, but I, I'm like you. I've got an Xbox, I know, but I so only put I used are. to put DVDs in it. That was the only reason I had the Xbox was to, <laughs> to play DVDs. Well, yeah. um, 
Mate, my last question yeah. for you is uh, his favourite quote. Do you have any quotes that, that you or Dave sort of have or, you know, go about? Do you have anything that you, you keep close to your heart that you, you remember from time to time? Uh, there's always one that stands out. Uh, it's you know a bit of a long one, but it's it's that man cannot remake himself without suffering because he's both the marble and the sculptor, which I think is very true. And I mean, you know, you can't you can't remake yourself and improve yourself without you know hurting yourself and, and going through the graft. And you know that's that's so so true with the sport we do. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a first for this podcast as well. I mean, that question yeah. had about 140 guests and it's very open-ended. There's many quotes out there that, um, you know, people all pretty much have uh, similar ones, but that's a first yeah. and I, I absolutely rate mm-hmm. it. So thank you very much, mate. And perfect opportunity no to wrap it up. I know you've got to, to crack on with your day and, and get out there and, and get amongst it. So thank you very much for taking the time, mate, to come on for a chat. Uh, I absolutely appreciate it. I know, um, you know, obviously with a success from Tokyo that you'd be looking for a bit of downtime, but um, I appreciate you giving your time and donating your time. And it's something that I think is lost a little bit at times from with you guys and, you know, the, the heights that you guys get to, but you're always willing to donate your time for the younger swimmers to listen to, to, to get, you know, experiences and, um, and, and some great, mm-hmm. you know, stories to learn for themselves uh, and I definitely appreciate yeah. that. So thank you very much, man. Congratulations. I know I've already said it a million times, but absolutely killed it over there in Tokyo. Um, you know, realized your dreams. And I mean, I was going to say that anyway, but you you telling me all of the stuff that you yeah, went yeah. through in the lead up to it, it means even more <laughs> now that I'm saying it. So congratulations. Good luck, obviously, when you get to, to Italy, mate, with the season three of the ISL. I'm a London Raw fan myself, so I can't wait to see you in action over there. And until we chat again, which I hope we do at some time in the future, thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast for a chat. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, buddy. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Thank you all once again for downloading the show today. Your continued support is always appreciated and don't forget to check out our other weekly podcast the otb crew podcast where i'm joined each week by lani pallister lachlan carter and josh edward smith we talk a whole lot of swimming the crew give their own unique insider perspective on what's going on in the world of swimming as well as special guest olympians joining the show for some fun we also talk music movies other sports and generally just have a good laugh If you're looking for a fresh swimming podcast with a bit of mainstream twist to it, this is definitely the one for you. Join us every Thursday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for all the fun.